I want to express our sincere joy as a church, especially to the parents, for bringing their children to be dedicated in the house of the Lord. What you have done, you may never be able to understand or even to know the impact of that simple action there. But we want to believe that indeed the Lord will be with your children all the days of their lives. I also want to remind us again that dedication is not just a simple event. It's, we, you know, we, don't, we normally don't say that, you know, what do we have on that Sunday? What can we do? Let us dedicate. We plan for it, we pray for it, and we prepare because it has some very deep uh, spiritual significance, especially to the children. And in this case, uh, baby dedication or parent-child dedication reminds us that parents are coming before the Lord and they are committing themselves to raise the children in the will of God because God has a plan that he has for each and every child, that they are going to raise them with that awareness that God's purposes and God's plans for these children will unfold. They are going to use the word of God to teach and to equip their children, that there is nothing else that they have. We may have, yes, parenting books, videos to watch, and parenting seminars, but in essence, the most important thing is to raise them up with the word of the Lord. And finally, that they are going to raise them up and to train, to train them up in the ways of God, that in matters of discipline, in matters of obedience, in matters to say even courteous words, that they are going to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. So they commit themselves to raise them up in the will of God using God's word and training them up in God's ways. And so that's what it means in a nutshell. But also it has another meaning, that these children have been set apart, that these children are going to grow with the knowledge that they belong to the Lord. When we have gone there and you have placed that mark of the cross on their forehead, they become marked children, that they become set apart from the rest, that God may use them in many, many ways as he pleases. And so again, dedication is setting apart. And today I want us to reason together and to think also of a man who set apart his son so that God may be glorified through him and in him. And so if you may please turn to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. I shared with a colleague that I'm going to speak from this text, and he almost laughed at me, you know, because the dedication and sacrifice, you know, you are preaching about, you know, the two, you know, which parent want to sacrifice their babies or their children before the Lord in such a time, and he said that either I am unwise or God indeed is going to minister to us, so I pray by the end of our 35 minutes or so, that you know if God is using me or indeed I am unwise <laughs> in that case. The danger of preaching from such a text is one, because we know this story very well. Even if you do not go to church, even if some of you, this is the first time that you're coming to church in a long while, even if you're not a Christian, you know this story. And so when I say that I'm going to speak from the story of Isaac and Abraham, most likely you might switch off because you know the end. 
And you know how it will go. At the end, there will be a ram. You know, this is what is going to happen. But I pray that you're not going to log off yet, that you're going to walk with me. Because this text, I want to believe, like any other narrative in the Bible, is a gold mine where we can be able to mine priceless treasures that can help us in our journey of faith. So I will not keep you long, because you know the story, but be with me, let us go together. And one of the things that I want us to see is that raising up children or being a man or a woman who lives in obedience to God requires three things, as you're going to see from this text. That you love God and the child, that you live in God, and finally, that you lead the child to the presence of God. So love, live, and lead. That's uh, perhaps what we are going to check on today. That's a framework and I want to believe that God is going to bless us. And even as I say so, I think our joy is, as pastors, when we see children, when we see all these children God is bringing along our way, it is a humbling experience. And we pray, God, help us you know, to be faithful, to raise up and to make sure that these children are getting to know you from an early age. That's the prayer of every pastor. And so when we have dedicated over 120 children today, you know, it doesn't happen often. You know, but we thank the Lord that he's trusting us as a church and you as parents with all these precious gifts. And our pastors are leading, actually. As you have seen, our staff members, they were here, three of them. They are doing great. They are doing great. And we are praying even that the pastors, we take the, that leadership. Pastor Lorraine here has, she just delivered a couple of months ago. And, uh, you know, the pastors are indeed shepherding their people well by setting an example. And we'll be able to do that. We'll do that. We'll do that. And even some of you, thank you for living in, in obedience. I have seen some parents here for the third attempt, you know. Uh, and we'll be here again for another one. Another one. Even some in the music team, I have seen. Uh, that. That's a joy of a pastor, that there is a future in the church. Back to our text. The Bible says, and I'm going to read some portions and then we discuss them. Verse 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Friends, parenting comes with many, many dilemmas. Sometimes we have full of fear as we parent our children. We do not know how our parenting might affect even generations to come. We do not know how they are going to respond to matters of faith or even being in church. There are those fears that are unspoken by every parent. Here we see God calling Abraham to test him. We have the reader's advantage to know that God is testing him. But from Abraham's perspective, this was a command to be fulfilled and to be met by Abraham. This command was from God. That's how Abraham is seeing it. And we are not, we are not, I mean, we are given the reason for the test, you know, that God was testing him. And this test, and even when God tests us, it is not to fail us. It is to reveal something deep within us that the Lord has already deposited. 
In Genesis 15, if you flip back a few pages, God had given Abraham victory when he was trying to save his nephew Lot. And out of that, God came later and told him these words, do not be afraid. And by that time, Abraham didn't have a son. God said, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And God was telling this man, even if you do not have a child, please know and remember that I am sufficient for you, that you are complete in me, that I am your reward. I am your reward. I am your shield. There is nothing else that you need to be complete and to be whole. But Abraham looked at that and so that he needs to seize the moment. He said, yes, God, you can say these words. But there is something that you haven't done yet. How can you tell me these words and yet I do not have an heir? There is no one to inherit my estate. It also happens whenever we tell even people, perhaps someone, a man or a woman is seeking marriage and you tell them, you are complete in the Lord. If I am complete, Kwani, this is very hard for God to answer. Or even for people who are praying even for children. Or even for an opportunity, material things. And you tell you, God is sufficient for you. But the human response is always, yes, I agree. But there is something else here. God at that time promised uh, Abraham that I'm going to give you a son. And indeed, God fulfilled that promise. God blessed him with this child. And so when we come to Genesis 22... God is testing Abraham. I told you that I'm sufficient for you. And I have blessed you with the child. Has this child taken my place? Has this blessing taken my place? Am I still your shield and your great reward? Normally we lose our grip of God when God has met his part of the bargain. We pray that God will be able to answer us. We pray and we ask God, please God come through for me. Whether it's material things like a job, a house, properties and all that, or even marriage, or even material things, you know, children included there. But when God answers, normally we forget about what he has done and we concentrate so much on the gift Some of us have prayed for children and God has answered. Then you say that the whole of this year, I'm not going to take my child to the church. You know church, you know, they can contract some illnesses in there. They can get homa and all that. And you deny that the prayer, the answered prayer, the blessing of God now hinders your relationship with God. Take for example, maybe you have been praying for a car and God blesses you with one. And then on Sundays you say, I'm not going to go to church because actually there is no parking. I live in Ruaka, but I'm parking blue sky. <laughs> when I park, the distance that I walk when I park is longer than the distance that I drive. So there is no need. And we forget about the God who has blessed us, the God who has met his part of the bargain. And we start thinking that we can be independent of God. We forget him and we start depending on our stuff. We start depending on these things that God has blessed us with. And we start forgetting God. And in any case, we start adjusting the truth about God and who God is. And then we start 
so that we do not adjust ourselves to live in the truth of God. We start saying and thinking that this child that God has blessed me might contract this disease. We are not going here for Christmas because they might get a disease. We forget that God who has blessed you with that child has the ability to protect and to take care of that child. We start believing that truth and we start crafting our own truths and we start believing it and living in it. Friends, in verse 2, when Abraham replied, God called him to something unimaginable. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I mean, there was no option. Isaac, I mean, Abraham, you have a son, yes. He's your only son, yes. He's called Isaac. Take him and go and sacrifice him, that son whom you love. And this is the first occurrence of the word love actually in the Bible. When you read from Genesis chapter 1 all through, the first time that you see the word love is actually within this context of the father-son relationship, within the context of worship and sacrificial offering. Almost akin to what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he may die for you and me. So the first place that we see the love of a father and a son is within the context of worship, within the context of obedience towards God. So with no agreement, no preparation, simply out of nowhere, God asks this impossible thing. Abraham loved the boy. He was the child of promise. But he also loved God so much to understand that God has a legitimate claim to his son or of his son, for his son. God can ask of this son because he's a child of promise. God saw Isaac even well before he was conceived in his mother's womb. And so Abraham, we learn that he didn't take lightly the demands of God. And God claimed full rights to the boy. Abraham had sacrificed before. Abraham had worshipped before. But this was totally new. To be asked to sacrifice his son whom he dearly loved. He was told, go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And a burnt offering, one was meant to slaughter, to slit the throat. And blood would pour. And then the animal would be placed on an altar. Then fire would be lit. And the whole animal, from the head, from the snout, to the hooves, to the tails, everything was to be consumed. So God wasn't telling him, go and kill. And God was calling him to go and sacrifice him there, and you go home empty-handed with nothing at all. And this region of Moriah, later it is where Solomon would build the temple of the Lord, the magnificent temple that was full of splendor and glory. That's the, the same place, Moriah, where Solomon built this church. In any case, it's also the, almost the same place or neighboring that place is where Christ will be crucified. And Christ will be offered there as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf in exchange of us. So this test was commissioned or was based on love. 
Abraham loved God and Abraham loved his son dearly. And out of our sheer shock, Abraham gives us a surprise of how to respond towards God. Do you know what he did? To us, we know that this was a test, but to Abraham, it was a command to be fulfilled by him. And his response was immediate, no complaining, no self-pity, no reluctance, no questioning, no wrestling, no hesitation, even no dialogue or even bargaining. And Abraham was a chief bargainer. Before that, he had asked God, you know, if there are 10 people in Sodom, would you still destroy this place? He had negotiated from 50 to 10. So he could have negotiated with God. But he responded in obedience and said, I am fully committed to obey the Lord without questioning and without anything. God is the one who was acting or directing this drama. Abraham didn't know, but we know it because of how he promptly and willingly responded. Let's read verse, four to, verse 3 to 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On that day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Friends, based on faith, Abraham split the wood that would be used to incinerate his son. And this task, by that time, Abraham was very rich. This is a task that he would have delegated to someone else, even to his two servants. But he decided on his own merit on his own, that he is going to look for the wood. And showing us and modeling to us that matters of faith are not to be delegated. And sometimes, fathers, we do delegate these things. We look for Christian schools to take our children so that they can grow in the ways of the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. But there are some things and some aspects of worship that cannot be delegated to others. We need to be at the forefront. We can seek help. But we cannot be able to delegate this task of raising and bringing up our children in the ways of the Lord. So Abraham was looking for the wood and splitting it. And then he made this long trip, about 70 kilometers, 50 miles from his place where he was, Beersheba, all through to the mount or to the region of Moriah. And Abraham perhaps knew that God is very mysterious. He had interacted with him in the past. But one of the things that is there and constant about God is that he is ever true. Abraham knew that God had promised him a generation. He had promised him a nation through Isaac. And sometimes, friends, we'll never be able to overcome the test of life if we do not know the character of God. Sometimes we doubt. But I want to remind you today, let us never doubt the character of God even when God brings things along our way that are not tasty, that are not palatable. The same God who can be able to give and to bless abundantly is the one also who can take us through roots that none of us desires. It is knowing the character of God that led Abraham to confidently obey the Lord, knowing that God is ever true, God doesn't lie, and God knows even more than we can think, even more than we can imagine. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the ones that he has revealed for us are for us and our children and the generations so that we may know how to obey him and to keep, and to keep his laws. The Bible says there on the third day, Abraham looked up 
and saw the place from a distance. And my question is, what did he see? When he looked up, what did he see? This is that day that our friend Abraham has been walking, contemplating, thinking, and the spiritual burden of knowing that he's not coming back with his son was quite heavy on him. But what is it that he did when he looked up? What did he see? We get a hint of what he saw from the book of John, chapter 8, verse 56. And John, chapter 8, has a very interesting narrative or story there. Jesus was trying to say and to argue about his identity. And then the Jews were saying, no, you are not even, you don't even have an identity. In any case, you are a child of fornication. Imagine. It's right there. You can see it right there. You are an illegitimate child. You do not belong here. You are not a son of Abraham. You are not a true Jew. And he will tell them that you, because you don't believe me, you are children of the devil. And they will tell him, you are demon-possessed. So you can imagine that conversation there. Quite interesting. You are children of the devil. You are a child of fornication. You are demon-possessed, devilish, and all that. That was a conversation. And then they asked him, why are you saying these things? And even you are not 50 years old. Where were Ninani? And I think the reason why they are saying 50 years old is because that was the retirement age of the priests, of the high priest. They would retire at 50 years. And so this guy is not yet even 50. And the things that he's claiming, where has he gotten this wisdom from? He's not even a child of the promise. He's not even, doesn't belong even to the lineage of the people of the covenant. Then God or Christ said these words there. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Again, reflecting on this point here, that Abraham looked up to the mountain where the Savior will be crucified, and he saw that prophetically, and he was glad. That even this sacrifice that I am going to present before the Lord, there is a perfect one that is going to come. The Lord himself will sacrifice himself on this. And out of that, brothers and sisters, that is what gave the confidence, gave confidence to Abraham to go and proceed and to sacrifice his son. He saw it and was glad. He looked up and saw the Mount, Mount Moriah. This is where our Lord Jesus Christ will be crucified in future. And friends, we won't be able to obey the Lord if we do not see Jesus in the horizon. During moments of great trials and tests, let us aim, let us look up to our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are tested, let us look up to Jesus. You can't pass the test of life, the spiritual test that you're going to go through. You can't pass that with flying colors without seeing Jesus at the end. It is when we look up to Jesus in life's challenges, we know and we gain the courage and we gain the strength to be able to overcome and to go through any trial that we could experience. Living in the promises of God that there is one who is coming who will offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. So friends, in any matter, in any challenge, in any expectations, let us look up to Jesus. The one who perfects our faith like he did even to Abraham. Leading the child to the Lord, we see that from verse 5. To eight, let me read it for you. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkeys 
while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Friends, having looked up to Jesus, Abraham was made glad and his faith was increased and he remembered God's promises. I hope that you see the pronoun there. We, you know, Abraham told his, uh, his, his servants, you know, stay here. We will go up the mountain, but we will come back. He knew that God can never lie. He knew that God is able to keep his promises. And I was wondering, why would he be so confident that stay put here? I will go, we will go, and then we will come back. Do you know why? The book of Hebrews gives us a hint. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And indeed, he received his son Isaac back from the dead. Abraham thought and he saw that even if I was to sacrifice my son, and the son is consumed by fire as a sacrifice towards God, God has the ability to raise him back. God has the ability to bring back the ashes and raise him back. And because he believed in that, it is credited to him as a righteous man. Abraham knew that God is true. He will not fail on his promises. And he will keep his promises and his son indeed will come back from the dead. And that's what he did. And I pray that even for us, we'll be able to cultivate that faith, that deep faith. Even as we raise our children in a time that is risky, our children are facing many dangers, and we are always afraid. God is able, and we need to know this, that God is able to raise my child, and my child can be able to live again. And some of the parents even here, you have gone through a very horrendous experience of even losing your child. I pray that you be encouraged by these words. It may not happen now, but have faith that indeed one day God is able and God will raise that child and indeed there shall be a great joy of worshiping the Lord together for indeed there is resurrection in the Lord. That's what Abraham believed and that's what sustained him and that's what kept him. He knew that if he obeys, God will raise him back from the dead. Friends, real faith is facing anything without abandoning the hope in God. That whatever we go through, that we'll never abandon the hope that God wills the best and something great and something grand will come out of this testing. That's the hope that we have as believers. That's the hope that we should have in God. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's back, showing that to us that he wasn't a small boy. He was about 20, 16 to 20 years thereabout. And as they walk, Isaac may have become tired physically, but I can only imagine the burden that his father had, knowing that it's true he might not come back with a son. That his son is going to die, and even if he's going to raise, that his son will have to die. But as they were walking, 
Isaac noticed something was amiss. Where is the lamb? There is the wood, there is a knife, there is a fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? He knew that burnt offering, burnt offering that was offered to the Lord, you know, it required something live, but he can't see it. He cannot see it. And God, I mean, and Abraham said, the Lord himself will provide. That the Lord has seen before, and he will be able to provide. And that was the truth at that moment. And friends, there are many things that we do, we do and we normally don't lead our, lead our children to the place of knowing the truth about who God is. Abraham had lived a life in God and was able to lead his child, his son, even to affirm the truth about God, that God is the one who will provide. He provided you, and he provide again, even at this time. Friends, we must be the source of truth in our homes, in our children's lives. We must be the source of truth. And if parents, we are not walking with the Lord, we might mislead our children. The challenge here is, are we walking in the knowledge of God? Are we walking closely with Christ so that we can be able to share the truths about God and who he is and what he demands? When the children ask you about the LGBTQ, when the children ask you about the distorted view of marriage and relationships, will you share with them the truth? Will you guide them to know the exact truth? Because we are living actually in a time of, you know, fakeness. There are many things that we see that are not actually true. Recently, there was a picture of Pope Benedict with a puffer jacket. Maybe the media team can display it there. With a puffer jacket, you know, looking great. Don't you like him? You get? And people are saying now the Pope, you know, is looking like the youth guy. And so the church will grow because he can relate. And this image was shared over 80 million times on Instagram. Have a look at it. But do you know what? This is not actually what he was wearing. This was just an image that was made through AI, artificial intelligence. Someone just spoke to a computer, give me an image of Pope with a puffer jacket, and the image appeared there. And so this is how we are raising our children. In a times that fake looks like the truth, but we must be careful to know the truth and lead our children actually to know and to experience that truth. If you as a parent, you are not the source of truth, even with matters about your life, do you know that God always preserves that one auntie in the family who will always tell the truth to your children? You get? You, you tell your child, you know what, you are baba ali gongwana truck. And then this auntie says, no, that's not what happened. Let me tell you the truth. <laughs> God preserves an auntie and keeps an auntie who will always share the truth and who will always tell the truth to your children. Friends, let us bite the bullet and be the custodian of truth to our children. Abraham was. Abraham directed his son to know the truth. And he said, you know what? God will provide. And let me remind you, let me digress a little bit. Some years back, about seven years ago, we sat somewhere with our bishop and a sister bishop was here and some members, you know, leaders in the church. And bishop said that we are going to church a plant in Ruaka. We are going to have a church in Ruaka. Have I said it clearly? <laughs> right. And bishop said that. And he was convinced. And we looked at the mathematics and the numbers and the requirement. It was impossible. 
And I remember Bishop, again with our center Bishop here, saying that the Lord will provide. And friends, we follow that faith. And that's how we have this church in Ruaka. Built on someone who trusted God, who looked at the facts, and they were not making sense. But God was making sense nevertheless. And that's why we are here. That's why we can dedicate over 125 children here because of the faith of those members of Bishop and his team who trusted that the Lord indeed will provide. And let me tell you, this place has never lacked rent on time to pay the rent and to run this church. The Lord has provided. Even this tent that we have here, the project, it's humongous, 50 million. Where are you going to get all these monies? The Lord will provide. The Lord himself we provide. And that's the truth. We do not know how. We do not know when. We do not know the ways. But he will provide. Friends, let us be the custodian of truth in our houses. I was telling the parents when we were doing these classes, let us teach our children that actually God provides. Even if you can afford that blender or even that carpet in your house, make it a prayer item. Don't buy just, you know, impulse buy. Guide your child. You know, we are praying for a blender. We are praying for a tray. And you pray about it. And when that child sees that actually God is the one who answers, their faith in God is going to increase. But normally we bring them. We go to the ATM and the child thinks that money is made from the, from the ATM. We go to Quick Mart and Kafu. We take sausages and sausages grow in Kafu, Quick Mart. They cannot be able to relate. They think that you are the one who always provides. And because of that, many of us are so overwhelmed. Our marriages are struggling because we have placed ourselves in the place of God. And that child thinks that you are the Lord. And even when things don't work out, that child's faith is distorted. That child, um, I mean, uh, self-confidence, you know, goes astray because you have been the God and the God that I have put my faith in has been defeated. And they can never trust the Lord. Let us get out of the way and tell them the Lord will be able to provide. So friends, the journey of leading our children is filled with many challenges and emptiness and many questions. But we have an awesome opportunity of telling our children the truth. Back to our text. When they reached the place, verse 9, when they reached the place, God had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your, your son, your only son. Friends, the reason why Isaac, at between 16 to 20, who may have been stronger than his dad, who was almost 120 by that time, the reason why Isaac was willing for his hand to be bound and for him to be placed on that altar is because he had seen his dad communicating and telling him the truth. And Isaac believed in this God of his father. He had heard what he has done. And he had heard the things that he had, you know, he was planning to do. And out of that, because Isaac as a son knew who God really was, he was willing to trust his father, even to slay him. And he lay down there willingly because he knew the God of my father. And so Isaac was tied 
gave his hands, was tied and placed on that altar. And but for Abraham, when he held that knife just about to lay to slay his son, he was willing to lay all his title. Abraham means the father of many. He was willing that his title, the father of many, he was willing to give that title, to give that prestige, to give, he, to give up the honor for the sake of the Lord. And out of that, just when he was taking the knife and he was serious about it, the voice of the Lord came from the heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on your son. And I learned there always to keep time. If the angel of the Lord delayed, Isaac would have been a gone case. Well, please, men and women always learn to keep time in everything. But out of that, God said that now I know that you fear God. And because you have not withheld your son, your only son, God promised many things. And Abraham again looked up. He didn't know that actually the Lord had prepared a way. Because when God takes you through a test, he provides a way out. Even at that crucial point, he will always provide a way out. He had this and had kept this ram in the thicket. And this is the mysterious thing. The ram that is alone on a mountain, it was quiet. You know, it was not bleating at all. It was quiet and silent. God had held its mouth. And at that time when Abraham looked up, he saw the ram there, and the ram was sacrificed on behalf of the son. Friends, let me ask you these words. Is there anything that the Lord could be demanding from you, and you're not willing to lay it at the altar of the Lord in obedience? We learn that from Abraham, that we need to lay everything in worship at the altar of God, and the best thing that Abraham did to his son was to tie him and to lay him on that altar to be sacrificed. And Abraham made and served the Lord as a priority. And because our children, when we do not prioritize God, you know what, our children will always know. That's breaking news. You may never know this. When you are not serious about the things of God, children always know. But he served the Lord and his son knew that this man was serious and was obeying God. And because of that, I am willing and ready to be sacrificed here because God wills the best. Brothers and sisters, we have a mandate to love the Lord and to love our children. We have a place to live in the Lord and to worship him each and every time. But for these young souls here, we have a mandate of leading them to the place of God to the well of God, so that they can drink from the same well, and they can be blessed from there. God said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, in verse 15 of 16, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities, of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And for us, we, have, we are recipients of these blessings because of the obedience of one man. Verse 19, then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Abraham stayed there knowing that I have fully served the Lord and I have obeyed him. 
and the son didn't ask any question. Didn't ask, where Baba, what were you thinking? By the way, when you're about to sacrifice me. I wonder what Sarah said when she got to learn of what was about to happen to her son. But nevertheless, Abraham was blessed. May we live to love the Lord. May we live in him. And may we lead ourselves and our children to the presence of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may you have a fruitful week. And may you obey the Lord in everything in a way that Lord, the Lord is asking you to obey him. May you obey him. And there will be blessings galore in that. May the Lord keep you and bless you. Amen.